This is Jules, lead pastor of TFH Oakland. We exist so that people far from God can experience a fulfilled life in Christ. For more information on how you can stay connected, follow us online at TFH Oak or visit us at tfhoak.church. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 13, it says, One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fish for a living. I love how the Bible can be really redundant, just to make sure you didn't miss that, that they're not just two random dudes just out throwing nets in the water for no reason, that they are fishermen. It says, Jesus called out to them. He said, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they're caught off guard by this, and it says they, uh, uh, they dropped their nets at once and began to follow him. A little further up the shore, Jesus is traveling. Now he's, his, his one has turned to three. He saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their dad, Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called to them, come, follow me. And they immediately follow him, leaving the boat and their dad behind. I love that. Like, it pops we out. <laughs> love the fishing business. We gone. It says, Jesus traveled throughout Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. He healed every kind of disease and illness, and news about him spread as far as Syria. And the people soon began bringing all the sick to him. And whatever their sickness or disease, or if they were demon-possessed or epileptic or paralyzed, he healed them all. Large crowds followed him wherever he went. People from Galilee and the ten towns, Jerusalem, from all over Judea, from the east of the Jordan River. Now, we see this, this epic moment and moments of Jesus' ministry. Jesus is walking down a very common pace, or place, and these men are just doing what they do. They're, they're in the blue-collar trade and field, and they are just fishing. And something happens within this moment, this little exchange, this dialogue. We don't know if it was a full-fledged conversation or if there was something miraculous or magical about it. But at one moment in time, Jesus says, come Follow me. And these grown men, these are fishermen. I ain't never met a fisherman that ain't tried to give me a dirty joke. That's real life. You ever talk to somebody that just goes fishing? They're like, hey, have you heard the one about the blue duck? I'm like, no, I don't want to. But what I'm saying is, is this. These men don't look like they belong or need to be associated with the religious teacher. But Jesus looks beyond their status their 401k or the lack thereof, and he sees something in them, and he calls them. He says, come, follow me, and I am going to literally transform your life. And in that moment, their loyalty, their allegiance, they drop all that they're doing. They, they disassociate themselves with everything their life has been built on, where their income has been built on, where their family has been built on. Generations have been built on this one trade of fish. That's all they know from the time they were 13 when they got out of Bible school. Because if you were a young Jewish man, you would go and learn the Pentateuch, the five or the Torah. And you would learn the five books of the Bible. And if you were not smart or eloquent enough, they'd be like, yo, you need to go hang out with some fish. Go, go carve some tables. Go sell some bread. And so this was an elite group to be associated with the teacher. So I ask myself all the time, like, why would these disciples be so convinced to follow Jesus so quickly? I'm sure they were comfortable with the fish. But whenever God calls you out of something, he will always call you to leave whatever is the most comfortable for you. And in that process, why did 11 out of the 12 end up dying a martyr's death? Some of them were 
were crucified upside down. Some were beaten flocks. Some were literally tarred. And one, he literally killed himself. And now these men who were once fishermen and tax collectors, thugs and pimps and, and swindlers, and these were the people that Jesus was associated with, and their loyalty had gotten so enriched, so solidified. Their loyalty was so contagious that they would be willing to die this horrific type of death. I don't know about you, but I don't know if my allegiance to anybody is like that. I feel like my loyalty has some limits. And what I want to do this morning is I want your loyalty to have limits. I want your loyalty to eliminate some things and options in your life to where you can be preoccupied with really following the life of Jesus. If your loyalty doesn't have limits, if your loyalty is so liquid, you will find yourself constantly browsing but never building. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask, Lord, we don't want to be just browsers. Lord, we don't want to live this life constantly living in for the next novelty, but teach us how to be people of loyalty. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. you know, uh, I don't know about you, uh, but my family has these moments uh, every single week. We do Friday movies. Does anybody do Friday movies as a family? We're fully domesticated, so I'm sorry for all y'all single people who are y'all just living your best life, just you and you all boot up. But, I mean, it's just a different life. When you got kids and you're just wilding out, you know, so kids, we're always looking for something domestic to do. Like, we're going to stay at home and we're going to watch a movie. But we come to this place quite often where we're like, what movie are we going to watch? And this will take 20 minutes. I kid you not. We'll go through the whole process. We're like, what do you want to watch? I don't know. Well, that's weird. We're not going to watch that. That's too long. You're going to fall asleep. And we go through this whole process. And one of the things that we find ourselves realizing is that we go through all of these different services. We'll start on Hulu and be like, yo, they got the commercials. We didn't pay for that. That's too expensive. And then we borrow my brother-in-law's account. He's got HBO Max. Don't judge. We'd be like, let's max it out. And the last of us is crazy. Then we're like, well, we'll see what Disney Plus got. Well, Disney Plus is really Disney minus because all of the movies we've already seen and it's not that great. And so we literally will come, continue to hop in Netflix. We, we, I mean, we, we get to this, like, it's a whole endeavor. And we go through all the streaming services. We asking Google, Siri, we, help us find something to watch. Then we just turn on funny videos. That's what we end up doing. We subscribe to YouTube, too. I pay for the bonus stuff on YouTube. I don't want no interruption. And we literally will watch for a half an hour people falling, and we laugh. That's what we do. We enjoy it quite often. It's a good one to subscribe. It's called Fell Army. There's no cussing in it. It's amazing. That's all I got to say. But one of the things that's a phenomenon in our world right now is that we have so many options. We find ourselves always browsing. I mean, you think about it, whether it's sex, date, relating, mating, we have all of these options that it always keeps us on the hunt of what is good. And sometimes we don't know if something is good enough, so we avoid doing it just because it may not be good enough and we feel like we have wasted our time watching, dating, talking, chatting, don't really like you, not cute. I mean, we'll literally avoid things so that we can keep our options open just in case someone better can come along. Man, we are so addicted to browsing it's creating paralysis in so many other areas of our lives. We will get into a job knowing we ain't going to stay here. We will tell them, I ain't staying. And they're like, we ain't got nobody. Cool. I ain't staying. And you show up for orientation. 
And at lunchtime, you get the offer you've been waiting for. And you tell them at 102, I ain't staying. And you go to the other job. And then you don't like them either. Ain't nobody loyal these days. It's what everybody wants, but nobody wants to offer. And if we're not careful, we'll just continue to browse, but we'll never build anything. Because you're always looking for what's next, what's new, and the FOMO and the YOLO and all the other acronyms. You may be missing out on what God has put right in front of you. So an attempt to make a vacancy and keep your options open, you never actually start doing anything. See, God hasn't called us to be browsers. He's called us to be builders. And at some point, you have to be willing to eliminate options and claim your allegiance and focus your attention on one instead of continuing to browse, continuing to hold out your options. And guess what? If you will begin to focus on who and what God has put in front of you, you can actually build something that will outlast the novelty that looks so cute on those Instagram posts. We all want to build something. But do we have the loyalty to support that? You see, one of the things that we start to see in this text is that these disciples, their loyalty begins to change. Their loyalty to God begins to evolve. And the big idea that I want to communicate this morning is this. For our loyalty, our loyalty to have limits, we must stop browsing and start building. And for us to stop browsing and start building, there must become these these defining moments where we eliminate the options. Are we going to continue to try this church and that church? Are we going to continue to try this job or that that job? Are we going to try to continue to try this person or that person? There has to be limits to our loyalty to where we're able to focus. And I will propose to you that when you begin to limit your focus and your loyalty on God, something begins to transform on the inside out. And the question that I have for these disciples is, were they following Jesus out of novelty or loyalty? Were they following Jesus because they didn't have anything else? Like, you could be holy because you don't got options. You know what I'm saying? Like, well, I ain't doing that. I ain't sleeping with them. You ain't got no options. It's okay. (laughs) But to be holy with options is a whole nother thing. Like, I got options, but no, okay? I'm I'm not. That's a different thing. And for these disciples, I kind of asked, like, did they have options? Was LinkedIn knocking on the door with their headhunter? Hey, we have some fishing uh, positions down on the Pacific Coast. Would you like to transfer? We'll play a movie. Like, was it, what was going on? So Jesus come on, like, follow me. Like, I've been waiting. I'm broke. <laughs> it's a bad season. What made them follow Jesus and start being so loyal? And then I start thinking, there's a progression of loyalty. There's, there's, there's a moment where your loyalty becomes more and more limited. Your loyalty becomes more and more focused. And many times it doesn't just happen with people. For us, our, 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 we mostly uh, see this in products. Because people are like, Google, oh, you got a Google phone. You don't got an Apple phone? You a Pixel? <laughs> you is a Pixel, ain't you? Like we have all of these allegiance to these products. It's all this loyalty. I want to kind of introduce this, this process of how I believe loyalty begins to work. The first thing that we see is that people go from unknown. There's a mystery about something or someone. Like when they were following Jesus, they look at Jesus like, man, I I heard he turned water into wine, bro. Like that's a good good person to have in your inner circle. There's this mystery about Jesus and they don't really know him. There's whispers going around, man, he's, he's teaching and his cousin is crazy. He wears a camel suit and preaches in the water. Like 
There's, there's this unknown. There's intrigue. And it happens in relationships. Come on, somebody. Like, you'd be like, oh, I see that person. You'd be like, oh, he cute. She fine. And what you start doing is this. You start asking other people if they can validate what you think is about that person. Like, hey, what's up with your friend? You ever have somebody slide into your DMs to talk about somebody else? You're like, I'm offended. <laughs> it's never happened to me, so I don't know. I'm just, they're like, what's going on, Pastor Jules? <laughs> but there's this process to go from unknown, this mystery. And I believe when I try to look back at these disciples and they're sitting by the fire and you know, sometimes we just think Jesus is just sitting around like at the fire with his holy fingers up like this. Because in every picture, Jesus is like this, right? Like just throwing up this weird gang sign to people. No, Jesus is with his, he's with these men. And they're talking and they're asking questions. And at some point, they're like, is this guy really, is who he says he is? They go from this mystery to starting to get to know him. And now Jesus is new. Like, they're like, man, we're fascinated. Like, we're, we're kind of in relationship with him. We're getting to know him. We're seeing miracles. And this is so new. This is totally different than what I'm comfortable with. And that happens in relationships as well. You know, you go from unknown. It was just an intrigue. And then you start getting to know each other. You're like, this is new. And they call that in relationship, they call that puppy love or the honeymoon phase. You know what I'm talking about? We're like, he's so great. He's awesome. I love him. He's amazing. And your friend's like, I don't trust that Negro. You're like, but he's fantastic. And it goes into this whole new, and that is annoying. And yeah, no, I'm just joking. <laughs> but it goes through this new phase. And then throughout that process, loyalty and trust is built. Because it goes from being unknown to something that's new to where this progressive loyalty where you start to get to know a person. You see, I start to realize this is this whole process of being known where our loyalty has limits is the more that we get to know about a person, there's two aspects of us knowing them, what they say they are or who they say they are and what others have experienced and what I have experienced personally. So let me just kind of walk you through this. God can be this in your life where God is unknown. I don't really know much about God. Went to church when I was little, not quite sure if this whole cosmic thing is real. And you get into a place and you're like, man, this actually kind of makes a little bit of sense. I'm starting to see God move in other people's lives. And I'm starting to get to know a scripture. And I'm kind of knowing about worship. And I become a little bit more familiarized with the terms. I didn't understand that. You kind of feel like you're going from the outside to the inside. And you start to know a little bit more. But then when it goes from unknown to just new, not just something you're infatuated or fascinated by, it becomes real. When you're not just borrowing the reviews of God from someone else. And when you start to see God show up in your own life, then you realize what God says about himself is true. And it's not just what others have experienced, I'm experiencing this firsthand. You see, you look at the life of Peter, who's going to be our protagonist that we're going to follow for the rest of our time together, is because Peter was one of the first disciples to be called. And Peter has a very interesting story and a dynamic about understanding his loyalty. He's one of the first disciples to be called by Jesus. He's one of the roughest ones. He's got a little bit of hood and a little bit of heaven. I love Peter because when Jesus is about to die and go to the cross, Peter pulls out a sword and cuts a dude's ear off. That's my kind of friend. Peter also said, Jesus, if you die, I'm going with you. Jesus is like, yeah, okay. <laughs> Peter's like, I got you, God. I'm down. I got you. 
Jesus is like, when the, the crow crows three times, you're going to be out of here. The crow's like, cock a doo doo. Peter's like, I'm out. <laughs> but before we get to the whole calamity and the fallout of Peter, Peter goes from this whole thing of not knowing about who Jesus is. Jesus become new, and he's hearing all these miracles, and he's starting to legitimize his understanding because other people are being healed. The Bible says that when Jesus calls these disciples, they begin to walk throughout Galilee, and they begin to preach, and people who are diseased, possessed, people who are paralytic, they begin to get healed and restored. And Peter, in his mind, is probably thinking, man, Jesus is, is real. At least he's real for them. But there was a moment when Peter's mom was sick and Peter is going out doing ministry in the streets with Jesus. And he's probably in this point of division where he's like, God, I see you healing all these people. But what's happening at my house? And the Bible says that Jesus goes to Peter's house and he heals his mother-in-law. Mom's has been in bed sick and Peter's mother-in-law gets healed. How you know that's a miracle right there? Just healing mama-in-law right there. I love this because it says she gets out of bed and she was like, what y'all doing? And she literally starts cooking, making some stuff. I'm like, yo, I love Jesus. Because he's like, I healed you. You know, them biscuits that you make, they're so good, though. (laughs) The point that I'm making is this. What if God has you in a process of limiting your loyalty to him? And you move from borrowing someone else's loyalty to where you start personally experiencing God for yourself to where there's less and less gap from what God says about himself and what you experience. You see, what causes people to become disloyal is when a person says one thing and then does another. There's a gap between their vernacular and their character. And the larger that gap between their vernacular and their character creates disloyalty. What that means, I can't trust what you say because what you say and what you do are two different things. The crazy thing is, is when that gap becomes with God, when God says one thing, but we haven't seen God's legitimate character and nature show up in our lives, it moves us to a place where we feel betrayed or we can't fully trust God. We can't be loyal to God because we're not sure if we can fully follow him where he's going. See, the question you should be asking yourself is, has anyone ever questioned your loyalty? Has someone ever said, hey, what what was you doing the other night? Who are you talking to? I'm sure those that have been in a relationship for long enough to know is like, what you mean? Let me see your phone. (laughs) You ever had your loyalty questioned? You see, I think there's three parts of our loyalty being questioned. Either there's a gap between our character and our vernacular, the words in which we use. And if that gap becomes so wide, someone should question your loyalty and allegiance. If your loyalty gets questioned, it also could be that someone else's trauma has robbed them of something and you're triggering or what you're doing reminds them of what they experienced. And so they're superimposing that pain onto you. And it may have nothing to do with you, but they're questioning your loyalty because someone has been disloyal to them in their past. And sometimes we're just clueless. We're clueless that what I'm doing is saying one thing and communicating another thing. This has happened so many times in the 10 years of marriage where Lonnie's like, wait, why are you doing that? Is this because of this? And I'm like, no, no, no. I actually was just clueless and had no idea that this was going to affect you this way. Whatever that gap between our vernacular and our character, there's a process in which God begins to walk with us in bringing truth into the most darkest areas of our lives to where when those things, when the words and our 
actions, when truth and love and spirit and truth begin to work in harmony, then we begin to walk in the fullness of God's identity. And when we walk in that clarity and that accuracy, our loyalty has limits because we're no longer doing things to prove to other people. We're no longer doing things out of association, but we're doing everything out of this place of commitment because what he has said and what he has shown has been so true. There's no gap between those things. I can now trust him. And I'm in this process and progressing of trusting God more and more and more. There's elasticity to my relationship with God because there are moments where God will push and pull me into areas that I'm not comfortable with. And that area of my life seems frustrating. There's tension in those moments to trust God to give. There's tension in those moments to follow God into community. There's tension in those moments to trust God to step into that marriage. There's tension in those moments. But because I am trusting God in this process, there's elasticity to it that even when it pulls and it stretches me, it retracts back to its normal state. What if God is calling you just like he's calling his disciples to follow him? Will you follow God because it's new and it's a novelty? Or will you undergo that process of God legitimizing your loyalty to him? You see, I want our marriages, like Job prayed, I want our marriages and family to be strong. I think we, our world is, we're done with hype. We, we don't want the hype stuff. We don't want all of the other, you know, this and that. I feel like there's people like, man, we've been there, done that. I think people are really desiring a sense of fully being able to disclose who they are in spaces or at least allow the process to grow into those spaces. I think people need opportunities. I think people need spaces where they can come in and they'll be like, you know what, this is where I'm at and I'm open to grow in my relationship with God. I'm open to learn more. I'm open. And if there's areas of my life that are falling short, I want God to heal me. I want God to restore. But there has to be something in our lives where we are so loyal to God that we live in a legitimate state, that our vernacular and our character are in harmony, that people are now allowed to walk in to those spaces because we're living in honesty. And the way that we can trust that when God is doing something supernatural, when God is legitimizing our loyalty, when God is solidifying our loyalty, when he's maturing us because we've seen so much disloyalty in the world, when we try to drag that into God, God has to remind us and he reminds us through his word. He says that's why every good and perfect gift is from God. Because what he's saying is, is this, what I say and what I do can be trusted. So when I give you something, it is perfect because it's not only going to be an indicator of who I am. It's not based on what you've done. It's an extension of who I am. That's why the Bible says that God loved us while we were still sinners, while we were still in our brokenness, that his loyalty, his allegiance to us is uncompromisable. It can't be compromised. It can't be uh, destroyed. It can't be shaken because he sees us just doing our own thing. And God still calls us. And he says every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. For in him there is no shifting of light. That means when God says something, he does something. And when he does something, he's like he said it. And what God then does is this. He says, if this is who I am, guess what? I want you to be the same way. Ain't that what we're looking for? My wife will tell me, baby, can you take out the garbage can? I will, I will, I will. I got it. 
just browsing. When? I'll get to it tomorrow. But what she's really saying is this. What you say and what you do, do they actually work in harmony together? And God does that for us. And let me just say this. If you're at a place in your spiritual journey where you're not quite sure if God, what he said and what he will do, I will just encourage you, admonish you that it is a matter of time. Because sometimes what God has promised for us, we don't always see it immediately, and we don't always see it when we want to. And whether we see it on the other side of eternity or we see it right now, there is a process in which God undergoes. The real question is this, can you remain loyal and follow him even when you don't see what is promised? And the thing is, is that is my biggest fear for the new church that is emerging, that we will have all of the form of godliness, but we will deny ourselves of the power that comes through a person that is fully sold out that is fully loyal that says God I will do what you say because that's what you do and if there's this part of our lives that we ostracize we keep separate from accessing to God that's my fear my fear for our community is this that we become more loyal to a service but yet still disloyal to the areas that God would tell us to change let's follow Jesus Let's follow Jesus, not because of a 930 service, but because he called us. That while we were broken and messed up, that God loved us. And what we see through this story of Peter going through this progress of fully trusting God, putting limits on his loyalty, we start to understand that there's some gaps in Peter's character. The Bible says that as Peter goes from following Jesus and moving from novelty to loyalty, then he sees his mom gets healed and he's going on these missionary journeys and seeing people get healed and he tried to cast out a demon and that didn't work and Peter is literally just trying to walk within the footsteps of Jesus. And on the night that Jesus was betrayed, Peter is standing outside the temple or the synagogue where Jesus has been arrested. And the Bible says that Jesus is chastised, he's beaten. And a little, little, little teenage girl comes up to Peter, this one that has this loyalty to God. And he says, hey, you look like one of the disciples of Jesus. And Peter's like, no, I ain't. They're like, no, 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 no. You got that little Galilean accent. You sound like one of the followers of Jesus. They're like, no, I don't. The girl asked him again, and Peter denies three times. This time, he's cussing. She was like, you sound and you look like one of them followers of Jesus. He's like, I ain't beeping one of them followers of Jesus. Jesus had prophesied, he had said in advance that Peter would fall short. His loyalty would become so liquid that it would leak and he wouldn't follow Jesus. Jesus then goes on the cross and is crucified and he's put in the tomb. And a couple of ladies show up three days later to go and investigate and just make sure the ceremonial burial of Jesus had taken place properly. And they get to the tomb and Jesus is not there. And an angel, a messenger, tells these women, he's resurrected. He's no longer there. Now, at this point in time, you have to ask yourself, you've been loyal all the way up to this point. In the moment that Jesus so needed you, you walked away from him. What would you be doing then and there? Some of us, we would just go back to old habits, old lifestyles, old friends, and that's exactly what Peter did. The Bible says that as he betrayed Jesus, he denied his allegiance. His loyalty was so fragmented that he goes back to fishing. 
the same place where God called him to. And he's just fishing, and he got all of his friends. He recruited his team. He says, let's get the old crew back together. Let's run that Madden. Let's run that Call of Duty. Let's get the squad. They go fishing. And the Bible says that as Peter goes fishing, Jesus shows up on the shore. Now, here's the truth. We friends, right? You know, we just met some of us. If you say you loyal to me and then you abandon me at the greatest time that I need you and I get out of it, right? They shoot and whatever, something go down. I make it out alive. If I'm showing up to your house, it's not because we friends still, <laughs> right? Like something bad happened, it go down. You like, I'm going to be with you. And then you like, well, you know, things happen. And you see me again. We not friends. Turn out the cheek thing. Yeah, we're going to turn some cheeks today. I'm gonna, we going to do something. <laughs> Just going to be honest with you. Now, Jesus, he different. Jesus, he hit different. Okay. These men have betrayed him. He's been with them for three years. We loyal. We ride or die. Shut him down, open up, shut. <laughs> the Bible says that Jesus, he comes on the shore. And they're fishing and they're exhausted and they're tired. They've been doing what they've been doing before. And Jesus says, throw, throw your net on the other side. And they obey him. They pull in the net. The Bible says that Peter remembers. He remembers that voice. He actually remembers that exact phrase because a part of him following Jesus in the beginning was contingent upon that phrase when Jesus told him to cast his net on the other side. And he was like, Jesus, I've done this before. I'm a fisherman. You a carpenter. I don't know if they taught you how to fish in carpentry school. And Jesus was like, shut up. Just trust me. Throws his net. And the Bible says that Peter jumps in the water and he swims to shore. And I love this about Jesus because Jesus is cooking breakfast making a little falafel egg McMuffin as they come to the shore. (laughs) But I want you to get this, because to me, whenever I see this story, I'm like, I love this part. It's like so good. Because Peter swims up to shore, and I can just imagine Jesus is over the fire. And Peter is drenched. And Peter's probably asking himself, like, he going to cuss me out, huh? And he had every right. Jesus has every right to cuss this fool out. And Peter just walks up and he grabs a rock. And Jesus just keeps cooking. The disciples end up coming to shore. And, and then after they're done eating, it says, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter. He says, Simon, do you love me more than these? After you just were totally disloyal and someone asked you, do you really love me? Man, there's been moments in conflict in my marriage where my wife is like, ah, do you love me? And you're like, how? Ah, I failed. And Jesus says, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than the things that I've given you, these fish? Now, the crazy thing is, is there's a language and a play upon words that's happening in this scene. Because the word that Jesus used, love, me more than these, what he's saying is this word agape. And it's a love, it's a divine love, the purest love that only comes from God. 
But Peter goes on and he begins to reply. Jesus is saying like, does your love, is it so loyal? Is it so committed to me that you love me with this divine, pure love that you can only have with God? And Peter responds, he says, Jesus, I know it doesn't look like it. My character and my vernacular, there, there's this gap between the two. My loyalty has limits, and unfortunately, it eliminated you to me to save my own life. I gave up too fast. I quit too soon. I made out with them, or I broke this promise. I lied. I cheated, Lord. Lord, you know that I love you, but I don't love you like you love me. And Peter says, I love you like a friend. This word is phileo. It's where we get the word Philadelphia, which is known for brotherly love. And it's a love that has limits. It's a love that's like, yeah, I love you, bro. We cool. But if something really happened, I may not be there for you. And Jesus goes on. He says, Peter, if you love me, then will you feed my lambs? Will you serve? And Jesus asked Peter three times for the same amount. That's right. It is crazy. Jesus asked Peter three times the same amount of times that he was disloyal to Jesus. And here's the point. I don't think Jesus was trying to crush Peter's spirit. But what he was trying to do was that loyalty that had become so liquefied. Jesus was trying to make it rigid. He was trying to put limits on that love. That Not only that Peter, to prove his love and devotion to God, one of the things that Peter had to understand, that he would never love God as much as God loved him. And that there's limits to our loyalty. And what I mean by those limits is this. There are moments in our lives where we want to be obedient and serve God and do what it's right, but we become distracted or our allegiance is broken because of whatever it may create and it would move us into shame and we don't understand not only the flexibility of God that he is so unmoving, unwavering, but that he takes us on while we are still sinners and he doesn't leave us there. And that for us of growing in on our loyalty to God, there are moments in our brokenness that even through that restoration process, the loyalty is actually increasing because we begin to become more understanding of God and know him at a deeper level in that brokenness. Now, that's not an excuse for us to continue to live in sin, but that is an entry point for us to understand that while we are in the midst of sin, while we're in the midst of heartache and pain, that God does not stop being loyal to who he is. Is. And here's the thing. He recommissions Peter. He begins to call Peter back into ministry. And he says, Peter, if your loyalty is to me, guess what? It will require a deeper level of service. It will require a deeper level of love. And every time that I've come to a place where my loyalty has been questioned to God, God has always given me an invitation. He's always asked me like, hey, if you love me, will you do this? And I'm like, God, you know that I love you, but I'm scared. I'm afraid. I'm not sure if I fully trust you. And God responds like, I know. And I won't stop asking you until you realize 
that the only way that you can do what God wants you to do is a supernatural enablement that when heaven touches your soul and you realize that when you was on the shores of Galilee and you had no other option that I'm the first one that called you and when the most insignificant person in your life derailed your faith I still got you and when I got out of the grave I didn't show up to your mama's house I showed up right where you were at while you were on the job and said I still got you because I will not stop being loyal to you and in that process Peter's faith is legitimized and he's like God I will be loyal to you I'm telling you this and I'm a little bit over time when I first got saved and I came to faith and I was like God I want to follow you you know what they told me to do go serve in the kids ministry I like I don't even like kids but God because I'm loyal to you start feeding some lambs and you know in kids ministry I had such a significant impact because I was amazing kids leader I b-box for the kids I do all kinds of crazy they just thought I was cool I was a dork but they was like you the coolest kids leader we ever had what I'm saying is is this your loyalty will always move you to another place of maturity and that gap between your loyalty and your maturity to God always intersects through a deeper level of service And when you begin to remove that component of your loyalty and service to God, you stop growing in your maturity. You see, Peter grew in faith to where he became one of the leading pastors of the New Testament church. But his loyalty had limits, and at some point he had to eliminate all the other options, including his old job. And I would just tell somebody in the room today that whatever requires the most faith, do that. Someone is in a moment where God is saying, will you follow me and trust me? And you're like, I don't know. Do I do this? Whatever requires the most faith, you do that. So Peter, his loyalty is upon God. You know, we're about to go into Valentine's Day and 1 Corinthians 13 does an amazing job of telling us that a love that is from God, that a God they love that only God possess. It's not clanging cymbals, it's not just noise, but it's patience, it's kind, and it's this whole laundry list, not of what we're supposed to have, but what God has for us. And this morning, maybe you've been serving God out of religion, or maybe you're like Peter, where you literally, your loyalty to God has been busted. Today is a great day to say, God, forgive me. For more information on how you can stay connected, follow us online or visit tfho.church.